All right. Episode three of Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Is that what we're calling it? Yeah. Raiders of the Lost Podcast, episode three. That's it, man. I actually like was thinking today that we should do like like the art for it. We should like, you know, the Indiana Jones movie posters where it's like the cartoon version of Indy, like try to Photoshop ourselves on Indy's like so, shredded. Like, the, the painting style? Yeah, yeah, like his shredded body. <laughs> it's super tan. Just put our heads on top Six of it. Six pack. Yeah, I, I can do it. I'm pretty good at Photoshop. I can probably figure it out. Yeah, you can do it. Yeah, I think I can do it. I, I think, think it's a good idea. I do Photoshop every day of my life. Well, so. I'll be I'll be Karen Allen and you'll be Indiana Jones. Yeah, that's fine with me. <laughs> <laughs> um, or no, you can be uh, you can be my dad. I'll be uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be a uh, senior. We'll figure it out. We can just do different Julia, st- different Julia. versions of we named the dog Indiana. We can just have two different versions of Indy, like one with the hat on, with like the vest, and the other like a different uh-huh. version. It's just yeah. I mean, it's our faces, mm-hmm. so I think it'd be fun. I think that's a good idea. We'll just take a photo in like the correct head posture. And superimpose it. Mm-hmm. I'll make it work. Make sure you tan your face to I, match. Then Photoshop. Chest. Photoshop. Jeez, I can do anything. If there's ever been a manlier man, that's a man. That's what, what I always say whenever I see Han. I mean, um, uh, Harrison Ford. I'm like, that is a man. That's what they are. Oh yeah. They don't make them like that anymore. Mm-mm. There's some people that are pretty close, but that's a man. How many accidents has he been in flying? And now, so like, many. How many injuries has he had? A bunch. He got in trouble a couple weeks ago over flying. He he didn't follow proper procedures when landing. Oh really? Yeah. He got in trouble with the uh, FDA or FAA, whatever mm-hmm. it's called. He's old, man. He's losing it. I don't know about that. I mean, the guy crashed his plane two years ago, and he, he was on set filming a movie a couple months later. I'm not saying he's not tough. I'm yeah. just saying he's a loser. He's like 80. I think he just is like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> no, when, when you fly, it's very specific, like very strict rules on like all procedures because yeah, yeah. you can kill people, mm. you know. So he's been messing up a lot. He might get his <laughs> license taken away. If oh, he, man. He would have if he wasn't Harrison Ford already. Yeah. But, you know, when you crash your plane on a All he has to course, do is, like, meet in person, have a lunch with whoever's in charge, and they'll be like, oh, whatever you want, Harrison. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Oh, my God. What a cool guy. <laughs> Anyways, this episode we're doing um, our top five female-led movies. Yeah. And then the requirements is the uh, it's a female-led movie, but it's the... The character is like the main part of the movie. It's yeah. not an ensemble. It's not there really, isn't a major yeah. co-lead yeah. like with the male actor as a co-lead. It's like it's the actress's film. Yeah, like wholeheartedly. Yeah, and we we summed up our favorite as a joint union. As a joint union, yeah. what is this a marriage? Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> All Twins right. and podcast partners. <laughs> so our top female-led movies are. Do you do you know my? I got the list. Just say the list. Yeah, Alien. Silence of the Lambs, Million Dollar Baby, Kill Bill, and Black Swan. Excellent list. I, I think, think it's a fantastic list. Yeah. And I'm very happy about it. There there are some like wanna do go over the bench real quick before we get into them. Oh yeah, the uh the reserves. The reserves we have Emily. Amelie. Ro- Amelie, whatever, I'm not French. Rosemary's baby, under the skin, which is kinda if or iffy. Gravity, Aaron Brockovich. Thelma and Louise, blue is the warmest color, and Fargo. Oh, yeah. Fargo. It's a great list. What is that? Like maybe 12 movies? Yeah, it's like 12 movies. Yeah. It's like a really good list. And so let's get into it. I felt like for me, I had to have Alien on this list. Yeah, we can start with that. Yeah. So Alien, I love that movie so much. And I guess Ripley, the character of Ripley, is like one of the early female 
like action stars, action heroine, yeah, for sure. Like I can't really. There probably were a few examples before that, maybe. There were I, a couple, yeah, but I can't think of any off the top of my head. But she set the bar for female action, and then obviously Sarah Connor with Terminator was after that. Mm-hmm. So, but she was like big time, it was like the, rock it was star, like big sci-fi action movie. Yeah, and then she's the one holding a gun at the end of the movie, holding taking, the flame taking on the the monster. You yeah. know what I mean? I loved it. That's uh, and she's so great because, um, I can't think of like a, a more paranoid feeling I've had at a movie than watching the third act of Alien when she's going through the the cabins of the uh, the ship. Oh, me too. With the with the alien around, it could be around any corner. Still terrifies it's, me. It's it's still yeah. How no matter how many times I've seen it, it's it's horrifying to me. You feel claustrophobic because yeah. it's on that tight ship with the tunnels, and then like yeah. it's it's not even as bad as when they're inside the the ducts and the air ducts. But like at the end, the last fifteen, the last twenty minutes of her going through the ship mm-hmm. with like. The alarm's going off. It's ringing. There's smoke everywhere. There's moisture everywhere. Yeah, yeah. You don't the alarm. Know where it is. You've hardly seen the alien. Mm. It's killed everybody but her and the cat and, and the little girl. And then the architecture of the ship. It's like if you feel like it could be hidden anywhere. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's like blended in with the, with like the infrastructure and all the mm. all the like all like the components of the walls and the pipes and the wires. It could be chilling in the corner anywhere. Mm. And um, and she really sells that movie, and she sells that. That last uh, climactic uh, encounter, because she just—you can see she has that fear in her face, and she's like shaking, but she just keeps pushing herself forward. And it's like you can see the the struggle within her, but she just keeps like keeps pushing and pushing through mm-hmm. like the fear and pain she's feeling. Yeah, and she does deal with the um, the whole misogyny kind of where like they don't think she's tough enough to be there. They, they don't, don't want to listen to her orders. Yeah, yeah, like when they want to come in on the ship um, after um, John Hurt. Gets uh, the face um, grabber on him. Yeah. Um, face hugger. Like, she just, she just wants to um, carry out the protocol and not allow him on the ship. And everyone else is trying to supersede her, and they eventually do. Yeah. Like, they don't want to listen to her when she's in charge because the captain's off the ship. Mm-hmm. So she has to she has to deal with the uh, the politics of that for sure. Mm-hmm. But she does a good job navigating through, and then even she shows her worth. Like, when she knows how to use the, um, the robotic... Uh, body oh, suits yeah, yeah. some help move stuff around. Well, that's alien too. Is that alien that's too? aliens? Aliens? Yeah. Oh, my bad. Well, we, we can add it in. Yeah, I mean, it's well, same character. Yeah, same character. Yeah. Well, I think the character of Ripley in general. Yeah, yeah. Is, is she's awesome. She's so badass, and she finds the cat. <laughs> <laughs> what is it with cats in movies recently that we would see? It? I don't know. Isn't that? And then what was what was what were we watching? Uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo. Yeah, the cats. And the cat with Daniel I Craig. Love cats, man. Yeah. Imagine if you had like a really well trained cat that like behaved well like on the movies, like those kinds of cats. I yeah. Well, I've read that they can be really hard to train. Like in um, Inside Lewin Davis, they have the cat in that movie. Yeah. And uh, he's it's in a lot of the film. Um, but I read, uh, interview with the Coens, and they said that, um. Having the cat in a movie was like the worst idea they ever had. It, it, it never did what they wanted it to do, and they they couldn't they, they couldn't count the number of hours they wasted just waiting for it to like do what they were hoping it would do. Seriously, yeah, that's pretty funny. Because you would think that there's like cats out there that are super well trained. Yeah, well, the Jinxie cat from Meet the Parents was obviously well trained, yeah. but maybe it depends on the kind of cat too. I guess, but I guess I mean Jinxie was really only flushing the toilet, and that's like a very specific. Well, he jumped thing. up on De Niro, no problem. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That that cat knew some good. I think tricks. that's my favorite movie cat. Maybe maybe the guy who sold them on like my cat is great for your movie. Like the cat wasn't even trained at all. He's like yeah, I, I can do whatever I want. And they show up. The and set. it was like oh yeah, it looks perfect. Yeah. And then they they probably got one simple shot. 
And then like uh, they were like getting the rest of the coverage like a few weeks later. Like fuck, we have to shoot only th- we have to shoot this cat. It's too late now in the production. But anyways, back to Alien. Let's sidetrack. Mm. I love Alien so much, and I think he did such a good job with that movie. And that's really like when I heard, I read this quote from him um, uh, a couple weeks ago, where it's like you don't show you you don't want to show the monster very often. Mm. You want to save the monster. Because it makes sense. It builds the suspense. You don't want to just reveal it and constantly reveal it like a lot of movies do today. Yeah. And he, he kind of set the bar in terms of hiding the monster and barely showing it. And that's a movie. It's When you look back on great horror movies, there's it's there's no jump scares in it at all. It's all... If you, if someone's getting scared, it's it's from the alien. Or like I mean? when, when the, uh, the alien comes out of John Hurt's chest. Well, no, that's what I'm, I'm not talking about stuff like that. Like, that's horrifying. But, like, modern-day cinema with horror movies, it's always jump scares. Like, something's around the corner, but it's not really anything. Gotcha. Or, like, someone walks in, and it's a loud loud noise to scare us, and it has nothing to do with the monster at all. Or the story, yeah. Like, horror movies nowadays, they try to scare you so often that has and, and the scares have nothing to do with the actual danger mm-hmm. of that creates that's created in the movie. And it's just a waste of time, and it's just like a, a gimmick. The great thing about aliens is you're just waiting for the scare. Yeah. And that's what makes you so scared when it happens. It's the buildup. It's the suspense. That's the difference yeah. between like a, a, a shitty horror movie and a great horror movie is the the, uh, the power of the suspense. Yeah. I mean, it's called Alien. Yeah. And let's say it's the first time watching it. You're like, where's the alien? Yeah. And it doesn't show up for so long where you get a good view of it. Mm-hmm. Like the first time you actually see it, a good view of it is when it's hiding in the chains above the guy. Yeah. It kills the, the what's his name? Jeffrey, nah. I can't remember his name. Like the mechanic guy. Yeah, yeah. Mechanic yeah. Guy. And like that's the first time you see it, like, <laughs> and it's shaking, it's drooling, and then you're like, "What the fuck is that?" I mean, when it comes out of the guy's chest, that's shocking as hell too. But then it just uh-huh. runs away. Mm-hmm. But like to get a good view of it, and it's like it's like 45 minutes into the movie. Yeah. And again, the movie's called Alien, and you're just, "Where is it? Where's this freaking thing? Where is it?" That's what's so good about it. And the design of the alien is unbelievable. Yeah. Like you couldn't picture it being any better than that. Yeah. Who, who, yeah. The guy who's it, doing those. It's absolutely designs. terrifying. It really is. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's an amazing movie. All right, let's move on. We got Silence of the Lambs next. Nice. And we just watched this. So, so yeah, Silence of the Lambs, I've maybe seen it five times and it always blows me away every time. And it's one of those movies that there's it's so dense with symbolism, um, great writing, great acting, that every time you watch it, you pick new things out of it. Mm-hmm. And I, I've, I watched it the other day with you, and um, I forgot how much... Hannibal Lecter's in it in the beginning, but also I, I, I forgot how great Jodie Foster's performance is. She makes the movie. She's amazing yeah, in that movie. It's all on her. Within a minute and a half of the movie, you're like, wow, she's great, like mm-hmm. already. And she's just running around and like doing some random stuff. Mm-hmm. And she's perfect for the role. The and scenes she, that she isn't in are very short. Yeah. And she just owns that whole movie. She does such a good job. And she's, it's, it's they really show you how um, she's like a, a needle in a haystack within that, within that industry mm-hmm. of being a woman. Um, the first shot you see of it is when she's at the, uh, she's at Quantico and she gets in the elevator and there are like six guys in the elevator yeah. and she stands in there and she's like two feet shorter than yeah. them all. Like she, you, you see like, she's kind of like a fish out of water mm-hmm. surrounded by all these men. Yeah. And even when, um, they go to the, uh, the wake of one of the victims and, um, her, uh, her superior goes to talk with the, the captain of the department and she's left in the room with all the other cops and she just doesn't feel comfortable around them and they're like giving her weird looks like why is she here yeah you know what i mean it's like on the way to that elevator in that scene she gives yeah. her her other lady friend 
in training a high five on the way because they yeah. walk past each other. So they're like ver- some of the very few women in the program. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's obviously taking that, that's obviously prevalent throughout the whole movie. But she never lets it bother her. Yeah, and like when um the psychiatrist who who Hannibal Lecter is, is his patient, he hits on her like immediately yeah. the first time they meet in terms of character. That's the first thing he points out is how yeah. attractive she is. Yeah. And then he try, invites her out on a date. Yeah, he tries to hit her with a But she turns stand. it down like perfectly. Yeah. She's respectful and polite. Mm-hmm. I think she's learned that like in order to deal with the men like that in that in that environment is she just exudes uh, politeness and professionalism mm-hmm. and always has a, a response that is never offense. And uh, proper time flattery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When she, when when he's upset and she tells him uh, when he's upset that she wasted his time. Yeah. And then she says, "Well, it, it would have uh, I, I wouldn't have had the pleasure of your company." Yeah. So she kind of gave him a compliment yeah. to like soothe him over. Yeah. But and, yeah, but she's great. As soon as she, she sits down with Hannibal Lecter, and like you're, you're talking about the most badass, horrible piece of monster serial killer like you can imagine in terms of fiction. Mm-hmm. In a movie, but even just in the setting of like her character in that scene, it's like he's a horrific person. Yeah, you know and she, I mean? she she knows she what holds he's her done. own every scene with him, mm-hmm. and she doesn't really get overwhelmed in the first interview. And then you know, it's her movie, and she does such an amazing job, and it's, it still blows me away every time I watch it. And she's she doesn't let him manipulate her, not too much. She, he 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 tries, but then she figures out his schemes and his riddles. Yeah, and then she manipulates him. Yeah. So she, she, she reverses on him and uses yeah. him and tricks him. I don't think that's maybe that may, has never happened to him before, like someone using him. Possibly. Do they explain how he he got arrested originally? I can't remember. They never explain like the actual like um, arrest or how he got caught. But maybe it does in the book. But it's not really important. Yeah, it's, it's irrelevant to the story. Because he's just been in that jail. It's cell better to years. know that he, it's it's better because when she walks into that jail cell, into that jail hallway with all the cells, in the max security uh, wing. And she walks by three other inmates, and they're, they have bars in, in their cells. And then you, she walks over to his, and it's glass. Yeah. And you can tell, like, okay, this this guy is even different from these horrible people. Yeah. He's even a step below them yeah. because of the, the difference in um, the setting of his cell. You know like what I mean? He's just so much worse. Yeah, like, they don't even have a door. Like, they just have the drawer yeah. to keep him out. Yeah. Like, they that's how dangerous he is. Yeah. He's hes in a room with the most dangerous people in that state, mm-hmm. and yet his cell is has has more reinforcement behind it. Yeah. And that's terrifying enough. Like, that tells you everything you need to know about him. Yeah, immediately. And the way he just You don't need any there. exposition. The way he stands there, like a bobblehead, just like... He's got, like, yeah, straight like a pencil. Yeah. The awkward, creepy posture. Mm-hmm. And in just his eyes. But, like, when we were watching it... Because I, I remember I keep seeing, like, you see memes and stuff or whatever, and it's like, oh, the whole time, and, like, it's a movie fact. And um, Anthony Hopkins didn't blink once during his role, in the, during the entire performance of Hannibal Lecter, which is false. He bl- I saw him blink yeah, a dozen times at least. He holds his eyes open. Uh, like Unnaturally for, uh, long. Yeah, but, like, he definitely blinks in the movie. And also the Hello Clarice line, that's, that's not in the movie at all either. Mm. So, like, it's one of those movies where people kind of, like, they they make something up in their head and it becomes like the culture of that movie and synonymous with that movie. And yeah, it's like not a pop culture knowledge because of it. it's such a like a like a horrible character and it just sticks with you that your brain just kind of creates like these other things that happen with it mm-hmm. and just and everyone believes it. But it's just it's probably because of how good the performance is mm-hmm. and it just sticks with you forever. And it's just an iconic performance. Yeah, because for was, both of them, because a lot of that film, um, like I was telling you, is Jonathan Demi shoots tight close-ups mm-hmm. and 
the actors are often when there's two people out of a conversation um his two shot is literally the camera right in front of the person's face yeah and i mean i'm sure he has a long lens on it so it's probably a good number of feet away from the actual actor but they have to look right into the camera lens because mm-hmm. he does the POV um, sensation where the characters talking to Clarice are looking at us through the lens. It looks like you're in the and, conversation. And she's looking just off the lens. So you can imagine how difficult that is to act at a camera. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure the other actor is behind the camera, but still it's like you're speaking lines and trying to emote to a camera. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I'm sure that, that must have been a difficult set to work on, but she just nailed it. Yeah. She's so everything. effective, though. Yeah. He even did it um, with, like, not even a big character, too. Yeah. Like, one of the sheriffs later on. Yeah, he does end. it all the time. He just, yeah. All for, of his movies. Yeah. But, oh, man, I love that movie so much. And he, he's, like, Hannibal Lecter is so genius. And the way he escapes is, like, the most genius thing I've ever seen in yeah. a movie. It's so clever. And but I then, and then one, of the, one of the best reveals um, uh, in cinema is the... The cross-cutting of, in the third act, at the climax, when they cross-cut between um, uh, the, the DEA team. The raid. The raid, raiding the house, and then cross-cutting with the doorbell in the basement. Yeah. And then when Buffalo Bill opens his door, it's Clarice. Yeah. And you're like, I remember the first time I saw that, I was like, oh, fuck! Yeah. She's fucking, oh, my God. Yeah. The cuts in that movie are, are really good, too. He, mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if, if it's him or the editor or both of them working it's together. Them. Yeah. But, like... The cuts from between scenes and like the way the dialogue works into the next scene is so effective mm-hmm. and it works really well. There's like there's like three cuts that stood out to me so well in terms of just like it makes it flow so much better. It's yeah. almost like the scene before never ended mm. and it's just continued into the next scene. Yeah, it's it a different setting, different characters. There's no fat on it at yeah. all. It's it's so it's well a, made. It's a perfect uh, perfect film. Yeah, it's, yeah, I'll give it a perfect. And it's film. got a great climax when Clarice is in the basement and she can't see. And oh, Jodie so Foster is like. You think she's she can't see she, the way she's acting is wonder, she's did, shaking. Did they shut the lights off for it? No, no way. No, there's, there's definitely lights on in that scene when they filmed it. Yeah, hundred percent. So she's fully acting that. Pro- probably. And then she, the way like her her body is shaking. Did they really put the um the green the goggles on the night vision goggles on the camera? My guess is that was just a filter they put over it. Maybe yeah. I don't think they put actual night vision goggles on because I feel like the lens on the night vision goggles. Are, like tiny, yeah. I'm so gonna look that up later and see what they did. Look it up. I I doubt it though. Yeah. It might have just been an effect they used. Yeah. All right. Next up, Million Dollar Baby. Oh my god, I'm gonna start crying already. The, the opening credits for this movie makes me ball every single time. Yeah, with Clint's score. Oh my god, that movie is so good. It makes me so emotional. The, the journey that this woman goes through in, through in that movie, and like the the obstacles she overcomes, the perseverance she goes through, and just and the way it works out for, and the way it happens in the end, what happens to her, it's just heartbreaking. Like, it's just, there's no other word to describe it than heartbreaking. Because there's few movies where you really, like, love the character, like, like whole, like wholeheartedly, like, you love the character. And this is a movie where that happened for me where, I, like, I was, I wanted her to, like, achieve everything and, and succeed and win. And then at the end, when she gets paralyzed, it's like, it's like, a member of your family got paralyzed. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Because Hillary Swank connects to the audience so so well in this movie. Yeah, her character. Everyone, you can relate to her in so many ways because mm-hmm. everyone, everyone's going through tough times in their life. That's like you don't realize that until you're older. Like every person you meet, no matter if you like them or not, if they're a jerk, if they're nice, if they're rich, if they're poor, everyone's going through struggles. 
and hers are pretty tough and you see it firsthand that's the whole opening of the movie is the struggle she's going through with having no money having a crappy job having a horrible family and then she's just trying to follow this dream this random dream of boxing Mm -hmm. and no one takes her seriously it takes like 30 minutes for Clint Eastwood the character his character the the trainer to take her seriously Mm -hmm. or even consider her the only person who like has like optimism for her is really Morgan Freeman's character Mm -hmm. but then then people finally when he starts giving her her coaching and he starts to believe in her she he finds out like what's really deep down inside her and how how big her heart is and how much how much drive she has and she just wants to succeed at something in her life yeah and I think it really shows a character that we don't see often in movies because like Oftentimes in movies, like when we see like a day in their life to see to understand who they are, it's like they they're usually pretty average and like pretty well off for majority and normal like, apartment. If there's something wrong with them, it's like one thing happened to them or one like they lost a, like a spouse or something. Like someone broke up with them. Like like it's nothing too bad, but like with her, like her entire life is a struggle, and it seems like it always has been. There's not a single thing. She was born in, about it. born in a trailer park, and it's like a perfect representation of like, you know what? For a lot of people, life is really hard. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Day to day, yeah. Like a lot of movie characters, they're they're pretty well off. They have, they often have like beautiful homes and well, apartments. Dude, half the movies made in Hollywood are yeah. the the plights of wealthy rich white people. Yeah, That's exactly. Every freaking. But even movie. for like the like an average like a rom com. Like you can you can watch any rom com and it'll be like a bartender is the lead character, but they have the most beautiful apartment Makes in no New York sense City. At all. And it's like, what the fuck? And yeah, I'm sure the the production design team had a lot of money to work with and they wanted to make it look awesome, but like it's not realistic yeah. for someone who makes four hundred dollars a week. Seriously. Whereas this movie it's like it is really authentic and truthful with like the struggle for a lot of impoverished people mm-hmm. and, sh- her, and her her environment is shitty. It's that's a simple fact. And, and like the tips she gets, she gets like a dollar yeah. tip. Like it's like change. It's yeah. like a dollar bill and change for a tip. Mm-hmm. And she, I can't remember what she eats for food, but it's like scraps from scraps. From, from yeah, scraps from work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like her life is really hard. People are like that. Yeah, yeah. it's not just like oh, it's I, I, uh, like, and you see so many movies where like someone like there was a car accident, they lost their their someone that they love, and it's like okay, here we go, they lost a loved one. But like it's this is much more truthful to like. Just life for this person is, has always been hard. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's why you want her to succeed so much because she's suffered so much. And Clint makes you suffer with her. Yeah. For a while. Yeah. You feel her pain. You feel everything she's going through. Mm-hmm. And she, you don't you don't see her successes until she wins her first fight. Yeah. But the, you know what the thing is? She never complains. And she's always optimistic about fighting. You yeah. know what I mean? She never like lets herself get down. She just like, wakes up each day and just keeps going. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which is what it takes... To achieve anything great is you get to suffer every day and you get to work every day to make something of yourself. And still, you can work so hard and achieve what you want and it can still be ripped out from underneath you. Yeah, that's life. It's life. It's such a good metaphor about life. Mm. So I think, yeah, that's, those are the main, that's the main theme of the movie is like, you know what? Life, does, life doesn't always help you out. And you not everyone I mean? lives a perfect life. Yeah. No matter who you are, what you look like, life can fucking suck. Mm. And there's nothing, you can work hard and you'll succeed and that's the best thing to do but still no matter what it can get you yeah and it's in it's it's also about two lost characters clint who who's estranged from his daughter and then hillary swank who whose family is just like the worst kind of people and she doesn't even want to be around them yeah but then they they develop this kinship and they themselves become a family the two yeah. of them yeah it's it's kind of like about finding relationships and finding people to love and in like to to build something with. Yeah. 
But man, I'm like getting emotional yeah. just thinking about it. Oh my god! I can't watch it because it gets me. It gets me so emotional. It's hard to watch. Like if I need a good cry, like because you know you got you got to get a cry out like every couple months. You yeah. know you got to get you got to get your emotions out. But yeah. like if I need a cry, I'm gonna put on Million Dollar Baby and it's coming. Those, it, the waterworks yeah. are coming. That's Clint's best directed movie, I think. Probably with that or Unforgiven. They're both great, but man, if you had to pick one of them, so, yeah, going on an island with one of them. In terms of like, uh, yeah. It's probably one. Of, it's probably my favorite Clint Eastwood movie. Yeah, it's so good. All right, what we got for uh, for number four? Number four on our best female led movies list is Kill Bill. Oh man, Kill Bill. How many times have we seen the Kill Bill movies? Ah, that's I. I don't even know. It's got to be. I swear in to God, thirties, thirties to fifties. Yeah, I wouldn't even be surprised if there. it's like mid forties, fifties. Me either. And even not even seeing the whole thing, but seeing a large chunk of the movies. More than that, because it used to be it was like that AMC movie. Every it was, month. Yeah, AMC yeah. played that all the time. And plus, we have it on DVD and Blu-ray. I put it on Netflix whenever it's on Netflix. I I put it on like maybe five times off Netflix. But like yeah. I've seen this movie in the second one. We can put them both together, like Kill Bill and Kill Bill Volume Two. Yeah, because it's basically one big movie, maybe uh, like ninety times total. Mm-hmm. Like it's absurd how many times I've seen this movie because I freaking love. Beatrix Kiddo, mm. one of my favorite characters in film of all time. Yeah. Seriously, I love her character. She's such a badass, such a fighter. She's so she exudes coolness. She's charming. She's intelligent. She's just a badass motherfucker too. Mm. And it's Tarantino dialogue the whole time and Tarantino storyline. It's fun. And she's it's a lot of fun. Born to play that character. I couldn't yeah. picture a single other person playing that yeah, character. Yeah, I can't I can't imagine anyone else pulling it off the way she did. It's an amazing job all around. Because the movie rests on her. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like it's a freaking kung fu it's a Hollywood kung fu action movie. Samurai a, samurai movie starring a blonde, pale woman from Boston, <laughs> from Massachusetts. And it's like, hell yeah. <laughs> She's from Mass. It's just like this is sick, because there, yeah, there have been plenty of action movies with uh, female leads, but like a samurai movie Badass. with a female lead. Are yeah. you kidding me? So and it, cool. I mean, just the uh, the audacity of Tarantino to, to not give a fuck at all. He's like, I'm gonna make a samurai movie, and I'm gonna make it a contemporary film. I don't care. It's insane. That's why when he recently last year got called or last year. Well, it got called sexist for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. And I'm just like, have you guys seen his other movies? He's made five movies of female leads. Who else has made a two-part samurai action movie with a woman lead that takes up all the dialogue? She's in every goddamn scene. <laughs> She's chopping people up with swords. She's fighting other women with swords. It's, it's, it's insane. It's the ultimate female empowerment movie. She's fighting a black woman. She's fighting a Japanese-Chinese-American woman. She's fighting a, a Chinese... There's, there's so much diversity in that movie. It's insane. Yeah. She's, she's chopping everybody up, and she kills 88 dudes with a sword in one scene. It's just so <laughs> cool. It's like, what are you talking about, sexist? <laughs> Name another movie that's that empowering for women in terms of, like, maybe you don't want to empower violence, but still, it's a Tarantino movie. It's going to mm-hmm. be violent. People are going to fucking die. Yeah. Don't see it if you don't want to watch violence. But my God, that movie is so good. They're, I love those movies so much. I don't know if like they're my favorite Tarantino movies because obviously when you think of Tarantino, it's like Pulp Fiction, like Inglorious Bastards. Well, that's how that's how great his filmography is. True. Like even the, the couple of the best action movies aren't even his his best ones. Yeah, but I mean, you, there's definitely like hierarchy of his movies that you can put in. Like Jackie yeah. Brown's in the bottom. Like not no, my it's favorite. Not. It's not my favorite. No, I'd put Death Proof down there. No, yeah, Death Proof's Death Proof's probably the bottom of his list. But if yeah. it was if I had to make a list, it's like. Death Proof, then Jackie Brown. Yeah, yeah. yeah then, you're right, I guess. Then, yeah. then Reservoir Dogs, and then it go, then it's easy to pick after that. I would take Reservoir Dogs over um, The Hateful Eight. 
I don't know, man. I really like The Hateful Eight mm. a lot. I like that movie a lot. But Kill it's Bill, a great movie. But Kill Bill's the characters are so good and they're so unique. Every single one of them, all the all the uh, the assassins and everything, and it's just so cool. It's a it's like a, a, an amazing like com- like secret community. Like he did it before, like John Wick. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like the society of samurai assassins. It's just a more basic version of it. Yeah. Where John Wick just has like this whole underground world and mm-hmm. everything, but. My God, what a freaking movie! Uma Thurman's so good in that movie. I felt I loved her like yeah, you know, big crush on her because that came out in like what it was like oh two thousand four and two thousand five yeah think? something like that. Yeah. So we were just teenagers and impressionable. Mm. And man, what a fucking badass movie! I love, <laughs> I love it, man. Every part of it. I, I could probably like recite that movie scene by scene. Yeah, and I mean, and it's got great villains because not just uh, David Carradine, but Lucy Liu is great. She's fantastic in it. And well, he hides he hides Bill the whole time. You don't yeah. see him until the you second. You see little one. snippets of him, like that's you hear it. his voice. Yeah, but you hear like, his voice. You don't see him until the second movie, basically. Mm. And it's just like, who who the fuck is Bill? I remember seeing it the first time, like before Kill Bill Two came. I'm like, who mm. the fuck is Bill? If you think about it, like who are even the male leads in that movie? It's well, it's Bill, and then it's um. Yeah, but he's in it for like thirty seconds. In the first movie? Yeah, the first one. It's it's Uma Thurman, and Lucy Liu, and that's like. In uh, Vivica Fox. Vivica Fox. Yeah. Which is one of like one of my favorite fight scenes yeah, ever. Yeah, the knife fight in the, the living knife room fight. in the kitchen. And then uh, when the kid shows up. Yeah. <laughs> Who are the? Are, it's yeah. all women. Well, yeah. Well, the guy with the the like eye bandana. But he's hardly in yeah, it. Yeah, he's hardly in it. Yeah. Yeah. If you think about it, that's a very female-led movie. Yeah. Apparently, the whole thing. Apparently, he's sexist though. Yeah, he hates women. <laughs> He made like a really good version of like Charlie's Angels, basically. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Because that movie fucking sucks. <laughs> and Lucy Liu's in both. That's kind of funny. <laughs> but no, I love, I love, I love uh, Beatrix Kittle. You don't even hear her name until later on. Until the second one. Is it the second one you yep. hear? It? Yeah. So you don't even know her one. name. She's just the bride. She's an assassin. And it's kind of like you can see his influence off of like spaghetti westerns with that. With like the man with no name, mm. with Clint Eastwood, um, uh, like that character you don't know his name. He's Alpha Revenge. Yeah, I never put that together. Yeah, definitely. Revenge man, it's like one of my favorite pl- favorite um, motivations in a movie. Because mm. a lot of stories are driven by you gotta what's what's the motivation? And when it's revenge, and it's done well, it's so sick. And the thing is, it's that movie. That movie is just it's always fun to watch. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's always a good time. Watch it anytime because it's so funny. But it's so well made, and, and the drama is good, and the, the action is good. It's just like, there's not any, there's not a, a bad thing about it at all. Mm-hmm. Like, you couldn't nitpick anything about that movie. Oh, the male lead is uh, Hattori Hanzo. <laughs> he's the guy with the most character, the most, he's the male character with the most dialogue in that movie. Two minutes. And he's in, like, only, like, 20 <laughs> minutes of the movie, if that. If that, he just throws a baseball and makes a sword. I, I love the the training scenes. Yeah. With the uh, the master. Okay, so uh, Padme. Padme. Yeah, Padme. I think those are... It felt like with Tarantino movies, because the way he films and the, the the story structures he has and then also Ennio Morricone scores, it feels like you're watching a movie in the 70s when you watch a Tarantino movie. Oh, you know absolutely, what I mean? for sure. And with those scenes especially, it looks like... I don't know. He might have shot those in 16 and maybe... But um, they they just felt like they were ancient film. You the know sound I mean? effects, like the yeah, the sound they, effects, like, do, like jump kicks. Yeah, but also like the the way they fought too. Yeah, it looked so. It, it, I wouldn't say it's corny sometimes, mm-hmm. but it's like it works. But I think it's the ultimately that film is like the ultimate representation of Tarantino bringing all these obscure genres that he's always that he loves, mm-hmm. um, like foreign cinema and kung fu cinema and samurai, even film. animation. Yeah, anime. Like 
he brought all these subgenres of film and he brought them into a mainstream film for American audiences, yeah. which no one else really does. You yeah. know what I mean? I can't think of another movie that it's it's a purely a practically shot film and then mm. there's a 10 minute segment of just anime. anime. <laughs> it's like the first time I saw it, I'm like, what the fuck's going on? Is this a movie? It's like we're in the theaters. I'm like, is this it's like a Hollywood yeah. movie? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, what's going on? That's because he just he just doesn't care. He's yeah. like, I'm going to do whatever I want. It's very cool. Yeah. No one else. I don't think anyone else can do that because you know the studio was like, I mean, Quentin, like, wow, we love you, but like, fucking <laughs> ten minutes of anime. Yeah, because this was his fourth movie. Yeah, so he was a big deal, but not yeah. like he wasn't like at the point now where he could do anything he wants. Mm. He still pretty much he did. He pulled it off. No, that wasn't that was an example of he has final cut and he does whatever he wants. Yeah. That movie was it. All right, because he made Pulp Fiction. When you make Pulp Fiction, you can do anything you want after it. Yeah, you're that's right. what happens. It's when you, when like, you make a masterpiece, like a true masterpiece, you get to do whatever the fuck you want for the rest of your career. Why do studios keep giving M. Night Shyamalan money, money then? He doesn't make a masterpiece. No, but I'm not saying he oh. made a masterpiece, but like... He's not getting money from anyone. He's funding his own films now. Oh, he funds his own movies? He's, he funded Split and Glass himself. They were self-productions. Oh, wow. Yeah, no one's giving him money. I wouldn't give that They stopped. Oh, I thought that. I thought he still And then in, in, in uh, Blumhouse parted with him. And his movies have tiny budgets now. Ooh. Tiny budgets. Yeah. Split was made for like 20 mil of his own money. And before that, he made a found footage one for like 6 mil that he funded himself. Gotcha. So yeah, they stopped, they stopped giving him money. <laughs> but if you make a masterpiece, you're good. You're fine. You don't, you, you, and Tarantino's made like a handful of masterpieces. He's made a few, yeah. Would you say Kill Bill's a masterpiece? I mean, when I think of a masterpiece, I think of it's like the Hall of Fame of a sport. It's like the best movie... The best one or two movies within like a decade, the best few movies, and so with Tarantino, I would say *Inglorious Bastards* and *Pulp Fiction* are masterpieces. I think *Inglorious Bastards* is, although it's it's loved and praised by everyone, it's still his most underrated movie. Yeah, I, I think, think it is. I think those are those two are masterpieces. How the how he didn't win best screenplay over *Up in the Air*? <laughs> I don't I don't know what the fuck is. And wrong also, with when you factor in that *Up in the Air* was written by like ten people. And he didn't win Best Director, did he? Um, I don't think he won anything for *Inglorious Bastards*. I, I think it won uh, Christoph Waltz, and that's it. Honestly, I think you're probably right. But I think like, that's all it got. That movie is incredible. It's one of the best written movies I've ever seen. I think. Yeah. In terms of just straight up script it's the, dialogue, it's, it's one of the best screen dialogue. Ever. Yeah. Probably the best dialogue I've ever seen in a movie. It's yeah. insane, and I couldn't believe it when I was watching it. He like, wrote. He wrote the best scene in the last twenty years. The, the best scene. The opening scene. Yeah. How do you not win for that's, the opening scene? That's the best scene that's been written that I have ever seen. I couldn't believe it. It might be the best written scene ever. It's honestly. because of Hollywood. I mean, Hollywood's all about a fucking story. What's going on in the world and how does that pertain to our awards? Because that was 2009, right? 2009, 2008. Yeah. Financial crisis. Yeah. People lost jobs. Up in the air comes out. Ooh, let's give this every fucking award to show everyone that we care about what's going on. I think it's how Hollywood shows they it's care. Yeah, how they think they care about people. We all we all know what movie, what movie Inglorious Bastards is. You know what I mean? Yeah. No one. I I will never ever again watch Up in the Air. I've never had like I've seen it on Netflix. I've seen it on Amazon. I've never been like, oh, I should watch Up in the Air because it's a great movie. It's mm. okay. Yeah, it's a good movie. But like, are you fucking kidding me? So, you know what? Um, that opening scene in Glorious Bastards is um. A perfect example of um, Alfred Hitchcock's theory on film. Mm -hmm. So um, it's about suspense. So say for an example, you have a dinner scene and there's four people at a table eating dinner. And then um, just a casual conversation amongst the four of them. And then all of a sudden a bomb goes off and they all blow up and they all die. 
So that's how like a majority of people would film it. But the way you create suspense is you film the dinner scene, you film the conversation, and then you go down and you reveal that there's a bomb under the table. Mm-hmm. And then you keep carrying out the scene. And then the audience is just waiting for that bomb to go off. Yeah. So Tarantino perfectly executed that that um, idea of how to create suspense mm-hmm. by revealing the you have the setup and the conversation, and then he reveals the bomb underneath the floorboards, which yeah. is the the juice. Because that whole opening scene, you think, all right, he seems like a he's a Nazi, so he's a piece of shit, but he seems like he's just here for information, yeah. and nothing bad's gonna happen. And also, you think that the farmer is innocent. You think, oh, he's just like. Obviously, he's nervous and he's scared of the, this Nazi officer coming into his home, but he seems like he has nothing to hide. And it seems like it's just because yeah. Germany took over France. Yeah, it's a normal thing that happens every once in a while. So he seems like, okay, he come on in, yeah. we'll just chat and see what he wants. But mm-hmm. then when Tarantino reveals that there are Jews hidden under the floorboards, yeah. the rest of that conversation, you're just waiting for that bomb to explode. Yeah. And he holds that. He like stretch. It's like stretching a rubber band. Uh-huh. You just stretch it and stretch it and stretch it, and then eventually it just breaks. Yeah, you know what I mean. And that scene is just perfect. It's mm-hmm. a rubber band that gets stretched until it explodes. Yeah, it's like a twelve minute scene too. Yeah, it's a long one. I love that scene. I've I've watched the opening. I've just watched that scene just to watch it and mm-hmm. not watch the whole movie before. Yeah, but like like all the Tarantino movies, if you put it on, there's a good chance you're gonna fucking watch, watch the, whole the whole thing. thing. Pretty much. That's why I don't like to. I love to watch these movies, but. When I got stuff to do, I don't like to put his movies on because it's they're all like two and a half hours long, and you're just mm-hmm. gonna be like, ah, here we go. I'm, I'm, there's no way I'm not gonna watch the whole thing. It's fucking midnight. I got work tomorrow, but I just turned on freaking Reservoir Dogs. Here we go. All right, next up, Black Swan is the final film in our list. Black Swan. And let's just say this isn't like a ranking. We just I'm just reading. The yeah, list. it's just we didn't yeah, rank no this. order. These are just top five random order. Mm. Black Swan, one of Darren Aronofsky's best movies. Hands down, it's my favorite Aronofsky movie. It's it's up there. It's up there. Um, I still like uh, the um, uh, the drug one. What's it called? Um, oh, um, wow, what's it called? Requiem for a Dream. Requiem for a Dream. I think Requiem for a Dream is will always be my favorite Darren Aronofsky movie. Hmm. But um, Black Swan, one of the best performances probably in the last fifteen years. Yeah, she's she's insane in this. Natalie she's Portman. so good. She's Just, so good sensational in it and the realism he makes you feel in the movie and like trying to there's a lot of symbolism too building the empathy for the character like she's just kind of like same thing struggling working hard trying to achieve this this almost impossible goal Mm -hmm. and what she when she eventually does achieve it but uh, it's just hypnotizing it's like a fairy tale yeah he shot it and he shot it all handheld um film uh, a lot of tight close-ups, and then um, wides for coverage of like dance routines. Yeah. Um, but the way the handheld adds a lot of realism, especially when the dances are happening, because mm-hmm. it really puts you in there. Because you think of like any kind of choreographed dance on film is like a thousand cuts, and it's like yeah. perfectly like everything is shot like perfectly. But Aronofsky's shooting it with a wide handheld, like he doesn't care. That's yeah. not important. Yeah. What's important is her. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I have a friend that's a ballerina, and like in this movie does a really great job of like showing you how hard that the life, life of it is. is. It's so hard. It's yeah. one of the most hard, most difficult things to be really successful at because the competition is just insane. Mm-hmm. It's like it's basically a professional athlete. Yeah, and it is. Yeah, I'd say, and it's probably even harder to, to succeed because there's just few spots and few shows. It takes it. It's, it takes a lot of sacrifice and. There's a lot of physical consequences that go in hand with that. Yeah, long term. And also, it's a short term career. Yeah. And so it seems, like once you're 30, 
if you don't make it big time and make enough money, you're probably just going to be teaching until you're 80. Yeah, and you really you have to be the, the correct body frame, body size, weight. Mm-hmm. You have to have the right size legs to, to hips, to, yeah. body, to torso ratio. So, like, a lot of dancers can dance, but, like, you have to – it's like you have to be a very specific proportion person to be the best at it. Mm-hmm. And not everyone can do that. But and I, I read that she trained for six months. That's a long time. Yeah. Well, how long did um Jennifer Lawrence train for 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 Red Sparrow? I'm not sure it was that. I don't think it was even close to that long because she only did one scene of dancing. It was a pretty long scene though, the opening. Yeah. But I don't know if it's her the whole time. Underrated movie, by the way. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. I, I feel like that movie could have been great. Yeah. They just kind of they just missed the mark a little yeah. bit. Yeah. But it wasn't bad. Yeah. It, I liked Everyone it a lot. said it was awful. I thought it made no money. Time. I liked it a lot. The, the scores for that, the score for that's great. But um, Natalie Portman's character in Black Swan is one of my favorite female characters. Um, and the way I look at that movie is um, her her getting the part of Black Swan is a, of is essentially her, um, her growing into womanhood mm-hmm. because her character at, when we see her her life the way her mother has like catered to her and raised her is she's still like a little kid emotionally yeah, yeah. Um, and because she, she's only known this world really yeah she's, she is, she seems like her her mother has really restricted her and kept her close knit. And hasn't like kept her in this bubble. Like her room looks like the room of a twelve-year-old. Mm-hmm. Like her mom, like tucks her in a bed. She, she's never had a sexual experience with an, uh, another person, even though she's in her twenties. She's probably never had any friends. She doesn't seem to fit in with the other dancers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she has this like naivety and this innocence about her. Like she's she's never really experienced like. Um, the real world yeah and she's never grown up because she's just like a pawn that that they need to mold yeah into what they want her mother too her yeah. mother used her it see i can't remember the exact background but i think her mother was a dancer and then I, it was like her mother was using her mm-hmm. like as a living through her mm-hmm. to become the best dancer yeah vicariously yeah. and then um the way i read the movie is when she becomes um the black swan it's her becoming a woman mm-hmm. and then um so it's like not just transforming into the part, but transforming into an adult. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's how I look at it. He does such a good job. Like in a lot of his movies, like you don't know what's real sometimes. Mm-hmm. You don't know what's fake and you don't know always what's going on or where the story's going. Like same thing with, um, with, um, the mother, fountain, the mother. Fountain, but mother, yeah. mother's like, is this real? What's going yeah. on right now? Cause mm-hmm. there's so many scenes that like, those like dream scenes that seem so real and then a lot of the interactions with Mila Kunis what's going on mm-hmm. but then and then at the end even when she when she dies at the end of the movie you're like what the fuck what kind mm-hmm. of fairy tale is this because it's not a fairy tale it's mm-hmm. not a happy ending really yeah and she just basically sacrifices her life to become Black Swan yeah that's what she gave up she gave up her entire life just for a role I think that she just she decided that she had to die in order to be free mm-hmm. is what it is and to give the ultimate performance yeah. of Black Swan mm-hmm Man, it's it's an amazing, it's a powerful ending. Yeah, very powerful. But she's so like, she's so amazing. The because there's a lot of controversy about them using uh, doubles and CGIing her face in in um, some of the more complicated dancing sequences. Mm-hmm. But all, but I mean, the and people were mad that they didn't hire actual ballerinas. That they hired an actress and who trained as a ballerina for the movie. It's a movie, exactly. But also, it's like acting is is a different completely different art form and i cannot imagine anyone like any actress being able to pull off what she pulled off when she's dancing and emoting so much when she's like crying while she's, she's dancing, crying yeah. when she's dancing 
And she's like, she's doing these complicated routines, but she's giving so much with her face. And it's just like, you, there's really performances where you can, you, I see stuff and I'm like, wow, that's incredible. Yeah. You know what I mean? People are so naive though. They don't understand. Yeah. It's, it's, you know how hard that is to do? Unbelievable. You can't just have any person be the actor of yeah. a leading movie, pick someone up off the street and be like, here, be, be the lead in this Hollywood movie. It only costs us $80 million to make. Yeah. We're depending on it to make a profit, but we hope you it. We hope you can act. You're a great dancer, so hopefully you can be great. There's only 15 minutes of dancing, so hopefully for the for the rest of the 100 hours, of 100 minutes of the runtime, you can act really well. It's fake. It's a fucking movie. It's a yeah. story. Who cares if they CGI her face, even if they did it? Who cares? Yeah. Who cares? It's a fucking it, movie. It was a big, big story. Stunt doubles. How is that a story? No. Nah. My God, you can't have. Well, I mean, Tom Cruise jumps off buildings, but the average actor should not yeah. be jumping off buildings. <laughs> what are you gonna hire a fucking a, a, build, a parkour guy to play every yeah. action movie? Yeah, and, and you let alone you could barely find enough actors who can do what Natalie Portman can do. True. She she's one of the best that's working right now. Yeah, she's one of the best of the best. Yeah, man, so and that's her that's her best performance. I love Vincent Castle in that movie. Yeah, too. he's he's a great villain in that. Vincent Castle is the man. Dude. He has this ability to just to just play like like. The worst kind of people, but like you can't help but like find them appealing. He's you know so what I mean? cool. Yeah, he's so cool in every movie he's in. <laughs> I love that guy. Like I want to be Vincent Castle. Like he's that cool. <laughs> yeah, he's a he's a great um, kind of like an opposite side of the coin to her. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everything yeah. that she isn't, he exudes ultimate confidence. Yeah. and Skill, sexuality, knowledge. Yeah. He's a very cool guy. Mm. <laughs> He's awesome. I love him in the Oceans movies. I love him in uh, what's the French movie? His first one that got him famous. Oh, when he's got a shaved head. Yeah, I can't remember. La what it's called. something. Lahane. Lahan. Lahan. I like that movie a yeah, lot. It's good. I really do. That blew me away. But he's he's a really great actor too. He was he was in Westworld the new season. He was good. He's in the new season of Westworld. Yeah. Well, you told me not to watch that movie. It's a TV I show. I mean, TV show. It's funny because you, for years, you've been like, dude, you got to get on Westworld. For two get, years. For, it's not years. Is that plural? Yeah. Years. But typically, plural. when someone says years, they mean more, more than, than a one. couple. More than one. <laughs> Fuck up. You've been like, dude, you got to watch Westworld. Yeah, get on it. It's great. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. And now you've changed your tumor. You're like, don't watch Westworld. It's a waste of time. So imagine if I wasted my time watching that show. That's then, Well, I'm glad. Like, Well, the first two seasons are fantastic. You know, I saw the first half of the first one. The third season's just like it got it got ridiculous. Yeah. It got so ridiculous. I I was I was a fan. I was like, and I I I like I'll let people stretch like stories and plots. Like it's it's okay, but like this was absurd what they were doing. Are they making a fourth season? Yeah, they have a sixth season plan. You know, people probably love it. Yeah, it's very popular. Yeah, but man, well, you want to talk about any other ones on the list? I mean, wait. Emily, Rosemary's Baby. Oh my god, I love Rosemary's Baby. Yeah, I watched about it. I hadn't watched it in years, and I watched it like a month ago. Mm. Fuck, that's a good movie. Yeah. Holy shit. It's really, really well, well directed, well written, and well acted. Yeah, it's it's really phenomenal. It's got one of my favorite endings of all time. Yeah, it's nuts. Yeah. Gravity's awesome. Gravity, yeah, it's pretty much Sandra Sandra Bullock the whole time. The whole time. She, she carries the whole thing. This, the movie's great. In terms of the the accuracy of the space stuff, is just terrible. Yeah, it's horrible. The fact that they could they could jump from satellite to space station to satellite to ship is like these things are like 
tens of thousands of miles away from so each other. So far away. And then she's just like jo- hopping from thing to thing in Trying, like an going, hour. They're going 16,000 miles yeah, per hour. It's, it's a little, it's a little it's bananas. Like, it's like island hopping. That's yeah. like how far away they are. Yeah. Probably further. It's like it's like uh, continent hopping. Mm-hmm. The, the amount of space up there. Where where all these satellites and ships are, it's it's insane. Cause they're like they're about two hundred miles in or like away from the the Earth. Yeah. So you got to factor in. I don't know what the diameter is for huge for the orbit. That's probably of Earth. a few of uh, several Earths. In so it's probably size. Yeah, it's probably like three Earths. Yeah. I don't know, but like it's there's so much space up there and like it and you. <laughs> It's just like, oh my god! Like, come on! She does it like three times. She satellite <laughs> yeah. off like three times. It's just like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and they did a, one thing. They did a really bad job of um, is her hair isn't floating around. Ah, because and if you have long hair, like it, this happens with female ast- astronauts when they're in, when well, zero. she is she is she is like her hair is barely much longer than yours in that movie. But it should be floating around. Uh-huh. Like my hair would be like going like this. Yeah. Because if a woman or like if someone with long hair is in why can't a man have long in, hair? In, <laughs> if a person with long hair is in space, <laughs> their hair is just like going like this the whole time. Yeah. So it should have been. Going I, like I understand. This. Yeah, but it would look terrible on camera if they did that. Yeah. And they can't really. They'd have to CGI it and it look stupid. So yeah. obviously for a movie, hair is a really hard thing to do CGI. Yeah. So I understand why they didn't do that, but like there's still a lot of a lot of inaccuracies scientifically and technically in that movie but it's still a great movie you can't yeah but i mean that shot where it's just stuck on her helmet and she's flipping oh i loved it and yeah. she's going out into, into nothingness that oh my god what a what a moment yeah oh my god that makes the movie it's a really cool movie i liked it a lot i love space alfonso, alfonso is the man it's the man and emmanuel the man's all right we're 50 minutes in all right let's cut it probably cut it there that's episode three of Best female-led movies. Raiders of the Lost podcast. Thanks for uh, tuning in, guys. Enjoy the day. Bye.